Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's Mike Shope and the Bulldog. I'm your host, Jeff Skinner. And today's guest, we have Mattias Samuelson. It says here that your dad, Kajel. Michelle. Another classic American name. It's Mike Shope. Your goal song is the country song Trip Too Hard by Real Baby. Why? Uh, it's a good song. I like, I like the beat. No, why do you have a goal song? And the Bulldog. Oh, um, hoping one day you get one. Dream day, that's good. On WGR Sports Radio 550. <laughs> it's funny. Like, Jeff Skinner had that web series last year, and people were often talking about how, how much they enjoyed it. And then, like, okay, the vibes are pretty good. Yes, it's not a playoff team, but not only are they much improved, they're fun. They they can score. They feel it feels like they finally, through their coach, uh, realized like offense is the way. And this year, it's just the return to well, hell, I guess. Uh, we'll talk about some of the recent unpleasantness, and by recent, I mean most of the last twelve years with or fifty. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. But first, Greg, happy holidays. Thank you for on short notice joining me today. And I loved reliving the first Winter Classic because, of course, it was ours. I was there. It was a great day. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I had a, an article on, on ESPN.com today uh, about the first Winter Classic 15 years ago this year. And just looking back at it, because we've got, you know, the 15th edition of this thing is coming up with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken. And it's kind of amazing to think about how much had to go right uh, in that first Winter Classic to get to where we are now, where it's become so commonplace. Not only, you know, the, the Sabres stepping up and hosting the thing after the NHL's original plan of Boston and the Rangers at Yankee Stadium fell through, but all the little things through the process. In writing the story, I mean, think about this. They didn't even know what to do if they couldn't complete the game. They never had to worry about this kind of thing. Like, is it is two periods official? Like, how long did it have to go? All these things that the NHL kind of figured out along the way. And then, of course, getting the, the, the snow globe effect at Ralph Wilson Stadium and everything else that went right on that day to then launch what has been probably the most successful thing that's happened since that canceled season for the NHL. I do want to get into some of the details here, but do you still feel it for the Winter Classic? Maybe did this research and this piece maybe bring some of that out for you? So the the, the outdoor games in general, and, and I've covered a bunch of them, um, have kind of, I think, fallen into that realm of where the NHL All-Star game is. 
Like, mm-hmm. a lot of fans don't care about the All-Star game. Uh, maybe they will this year with the format change and, and, the, and the things they're doing with the skills competition. But for the most part, it's not something that you really make time to watch, like maybe you did back in the days when it was like Gretzky and Mario. But if you're at, if you're at the thing, if you're on the ground, if you're going to the event, it, it feels like the Super Bowl. Like, it feels like the biggest thing that's happening in that <laughs> city. And it's the same thing with these outdoor games. Like, on television, yeah, you know, the luster is kind of lost unless it's a really unusual uh, venue or if it's a, a matchup that maybe you're not expected to see all the time. Um, you're not maybe making time to watch these outdoor games. But that being said, if you're if you're there in Seattle for this thing, if you were there at the Cotton Bowl uh, down in uh, in Texas for the the Stars and the Predators, which is one of my favorite events I've ever covered, uh, it's a whole different vibe. It's it still resonates if you're if you're there and and you're in the atmosphere of it, even if maybe as a television event it's it's not as as thrilling as it, as it used to be when it when it first started. So how dramatic a, a difference is there, Greg, in from what the buildup to this day in Buffalo back in 2008 was to now that, you know, games in L.A. and, you know, Texas, like you said, is it just sort of a easy game to put an outdoor game on anywhere in the country now versus how tenuous things were i like the piece about uh, mr collins driving to the stadium that day and it was raining he's like i don't know if we can do this yeah yeah he's basically just uh really hoping it was going to change the snow because there's one there's just two things that we've learned the outdoor games can't handle it's rainfall and then as we learned in that uh, lake tahoe game those lake tahoe games oh. had, which i attended uh maybe don't hold your hockey game at noon under the, the beating sun <laughs> Uh, it was a real mistake. So, uh, yeah, they've gotten a lot better at it, not, not only in, in figuring out how to make ice in places where it might be tough to make ice and maintain ice. I mean, like, basically, Dan Craig, the former ice guru of, guru of the league, uh, ha- held, helped make this uh, Winter Classic possible by, by keeping the ice as safe as possible and then basically went to the league and said, here's what we need to, to do this again. <laughs> you know, we gotta mm-hmm. we got to upgrade our equipment. We've got to be able to have some extra time built in to to do the setup and do the build but the other thing they've gotten really good at over the years and and it's a big change for the league uh going from john collins who used to be their coo to uh, this guy steve Mayer, who's their uh chief content creator is they've gotten better at the spectacle of it you could see the difference last year when you know the fenway park game i think was like the third one they did uh, back in, in the early days of the Winter Classic, and it was just a rink on a field. Like, you're expecting the Green Monster and everything to really be the reason you want to watch. And then you watch this other one, you know, that they just did, and, and they've really figured out how to, like, dress it up, you know, with the, with the fake snow, with they had a little mini baseball diamond rink or something, uh, <laughs> you know, next to the, the, the actual rink. Like, all the little accoutrement that they have for these games, I think, have really made them better over the years rather than just simply – here's a hockey rink where it's not supposed to be. Right. So you wrote at one point in this piece, Greg, what would have happened if the 2008 Winter Classic wasn't a success? What do you think? Like if it rains and they don't play or just it's something else that the ice doesn't hold up that undermines that game, is there a second one? Maybe not. I mean, maybe not. If, if it had been a, a high-level embarrassment or disaster for the league, um, if it had lost a ton of money, if if it didn't work for NBC, and, and we shouldn't forget it, like the NBC part of this, the whole reason we had the Winter Classic in the first place is because NBC wanted to counter counter program college football because they didn't really have it anymore on their network. Mm-hmm. So instead of you know 
scheduling dog shows and figure skating competitions. They, they wanted to have something from the NHL on that day and decided to do the outdoor game. Um, if, if it hadn't worked, if it was unsafe, let's say, if a player got really hurt at yep. one of these, at, at this first Winter Classic, um, it, it could have been a, a real different story. I mean, there was prepar- There was a lot of sort of lukewarm reaction within the league to the idea of this thing to begin with. There were some questions about the economic model that they had in order to pull this thing off. And, yeah, the, the Heritage Classic that they had in, Ed- in Edmonton a few years before this was a, was a pretty you know, good success and, and fueled by nostalgia for the Oilers and things like that. But for the American you know, model of this thing, if, if the first Winter Classic wasn't the success that it was and didn't whet the appetite of fans to see this, um, to see this gimmick placed in other stadiums, it, it, we, may, we may not have ever had the outdoor game revolution that we've had in the NHL. If you don't mind, Greg Wyshynski, my guest, Bulldog is not here today. I just want to pinpoint a couple of things about that day that are, are still very vivid memories of mine. I'm glad you mentioned Larry Quinn. When I started to read this, I was hoping, because my version of this was that like Quinn was kind of the brainchild of it, at least from our side of it, not from the leagues necessarily, but I'm glad he was mentioned here. Um, we had we used to have a, an annual golf tournament at WGR, and one year I missed it. And everybody came away from it talking about how Andrew Peters announced to the whole crowd that the Sabres were to play the Leafs at the, at the stadium. And nobody <laughs> knew what he was talking about, but he sort of broke the, the seal, so to speak, ended up being Pittsburgh. But like you wrote, they were looking for an opponent for a while there, as maybe teams including Toronto uh, chose not to play. I went to, you know, I'm a lifer. Um, Bill's playoff games in the 90s, those were the AFC championship uh, three times. And it was always cool to me as an aspiring broadcaster that Bob Costas would be in Buffalo. And there he was that day in 2008 at a hockey game hosting the coverage. And one more. So Bulldog and I went as fans. I'm tailgating with my buddy who's a Pittsburgh fan in, in from, I guess, Connecticut, doesn't matter, with his son playing little hockey sticks in the parking lot. Didn't see Bulldog all day. We've been on together since 2002. This is January 1st, 08. We meet. They wanted us to do the post-game show from the Bills booth, which at those days we were not invited, but it wasn't a Bills game. So we meet at the booth, and, you know, my big brother, Bulldog, says, this is the greatest sporting event I've ever been to. And I'm like, agree. So we start post-game coverage, Greg, and, like, this is amazing. Yes, the Sabres lost in a shootout, but what a day we go to our first call, and the guy was like, how the heck does Max Finneganoff get, get picked for the shootout? Like, he just was <laughs> was pissed about the shootout. And I was just, I cannot believe, like, how do you not? This guy wasn't here, apparently, because, you know, he wasn't feeling the feels. Well, that, I mean, and that's kind of the, the, the most amazing thing about it. I mean, you know, it's a regular season game whenever they go outdoors and do this thing. Like, it's a meaningful game. In a lot of cases, it's a it's two points that are coming at a very valuable time for teams that have in the past used the, the chance to play in these outdoor games as a, a launching point for trying to change the momentum in their season or, or even, you know, just to kind of like take a mental break from the grind. It's, it, it's an important game in a lot of ways, um, which is amazing when you think about, you know, like everybody else gets to play indoors 82 times and then, you know, you're playing in driving wind or blinding sun or whatever for, for what could be a, a game that means you make or miss the playoffs later on. But yeah, it, it's, it is amazing that it, it's come as far as it has. Um, and, and like you said, the, one of the things that's in the story is the fact that Larry Quinn 
had the guts to say, yeah, we'll host it when other, other teams were like not, not wanting to touch it. And that David Morehouse, who at the time was the CEO, the CEO of the Penguins, said, uh, yeah, we'll be the opponent when literally everyone else was like, nah, that's all right. We're not going to do it. And, and the Penguins' willingness to do that with some, you know, very valuable assets on their team that yeah. you don't want to get hurt in an outdoor game like Sidney Crosby and Malkin, you know, those guys. Um, it's, it's really impressive that they stepped up. And if it wasn't for that level of star power being in that game with the Sabres, I mean, who knows what the reaction would have been. Right. Crosby scoring the winner in the shootout. The uniforms, Greg, like Pittsburgh go into those baby blue uniforms and the Sabres who weren't wearing that crest that year. It was a kind of a difficult season off the president's trophy year and the Drury and Briere had left. Remember my wife being upset that she missed the Sabres goal, uh, like very early in the second period coming back from the bathroom and uh, well, really nice reliving this, uh, this day with you and transitioning into modern day, the, the Penguins score at 21 seconds in that game. Like you sit down and they're losing and that is happening all the time this year. Uh, you know, I thought, it was always, you know, I, I'm an odds guy. I'm looking at the betting lines for this Sabre season this year. Like, they were never really a favorite to make it, but they were certainly trending up. And with their youth and talent, okay, maybe. They're certainly live, and now it seems like it's dead already. Is it dead already? I don't think it's dead already. I mean, they do have a close to 10% chance of, uh, of making the playoffs, which doesn't seem very high, but it's still a chance, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um you know, the, the, like you said, I, I do think ex, I think the expectations were there for three teams in, in, in the Atlantic. They were there for Ottawa, they were there for Buffalo, and they were there for Detroit. That one of these teams was going to emerge, one of these teams was going to break through and uh, and be a playoff team. And, and for a long time, it looked that like that team was going to be Detroit, although they've now kind of hit the skids a little bit. Um, and then obviously Ottawa has been an abject disaster with the coach firing and the GM situation and and then Buffalo obviously didn't get off the blocks the way that they wanted to um, and, and, and really push for a playoff spot this year. And, you know, it's the same old story. It's a, it's a middling team at five-on-five, five, um, not the worst, but, but not the best, and, and in some cases not even average. Uh, obviously, lineup absences have played a role, in particular Tage Thompson, and then it all tracked back to the goaltending. And, and you know, that's, that's the real bummer of it all. Is that I think that people came into this season with a – really lofty expectation of what Devin Levi was going to be able to do between the pipes. I mean, he's barely been a replacement level goalie. The the other two goalies have been below replacement this year by the analytics. And the thing I kept on telling people about the Sabres is like, look, you know, we're all very excited. This is a good core of, of players. We all think they're going to turn the corner soon, but it may not be this season because you're asking a rookie goalie to save the day behind what is still an extremely porous defensive team and a team whose best players don't always engage on the defensive side of the game. And and that's kind of what we've seen play out this year, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, goalies, it's so tricky. It's so easy to be wrong. But I think the Sabres are being blamed for their lack of action at the position this year. I mean, the results are what's going to matter. But yes to your points on Levi. And I would say that about 90% of the goalies in the league. Like, you really can't be sure you can trust it because of how flighty performance at the position is, especially when it's someone so young. I tended to defend the Sabres, Greg, for not making a goalie move because every time I looked at one or thought about one, it seemed like, well, here's why this might not work. Plus your point about who the Sabres are. 
Um, except for Hellebuck, but that's a huge investment. And there goes Levi if you do that. But there was some speculation about him. Like, okay, well, if you have to, but no other idea. You're talking about Jonathan Quick, who we've talked about, and guys like I don't know what Ottawa did. I mean, what was the what was the move to make? There was, there, I mean, there, there were, like you said, unless it was trading for Hellebuck, which I mean, he apparently wasn't even available as he resigned in Winnipeg, or you know, trying to pry John Gibson away from Anaheim or something like that. I mean, Pekka Rene, I mean, not Pekka Rene, uh, UC Soros down in Nashville. Um, there was some speculation about him, but but I think ultimately he wasn't available. They decided to hang on to him. Um, there wasn't like a, a cure all, and, and and obviously no one knew Jonathan Quick was going to do what he did with the Rangers and. There's no telling that he was going to be able to repeat those results if he was on the Sabres. So um, the goalie thing with the, with the younger goalies, though, is interesting. I, I wrote a story about a guy named Connor Ingram who is with the, uh, the Arizona Coyotes uh, now, and, and he was a guy that kind of bounced around for a bit, and the Coyotes always liked him, and they were like, we'd love to get him on our team and develop him a little bit. And you know, he's in his mid-20s, and you think about Aiden Hill with the Vegas Golden Knights who you know helped him win the Cup last year, and then – they come back this year, and his numbers are great. And and I wonder if there isn't going to be a, a, a slight reevaluation of the age curve for goalies that, you know, give them a bit more seasoning. You know, don't expect the kids to come up and be good right away. Let them let them let them linger, let them percolate, let them let them get better. And then you know, by their mid twenties, they're going to be ready to kind of handle the load. It's not the best thing in the world when it comes to like retaining your talent via free agency because it means that you're asking these guys to maybe inch a little bit closer to unrestricted free agency instead of being able to control them like you control a younger player. Mm-hmm. But the results are there in some cases of, of letting these guys ripen on the vine, vine a little bit longer than maybe you'd, you'd like to, and then they come up and, and they're, they're more NHL ready. I want to give a shout-out to my friend in Rochester, Kevin O'Clubja, who's covered the Amherst there for 20 to 30 years. And we're all excited. Like, Levi comes up here end of last season, plays a few games, it's already a team where the future seems pretty bright. Like, all right, let's go. And so Bulldog and I are talking about the Sabres through the summer and like, okay, well, can, is it, can it be just Levi? Like, are they really going to make him the number one or are they going to bring in someone else? Like, what are they going to do? And one day when Bulldog was off, I was talking to Kevin and I asked him about Levi and he's like, well, we'll see how he does here in Rochester. I'm like, what? And like, go to Rochester. He's like, you mean, you? he said to me on the air, he's like, you mean you think he won't? Like in his mind, there was no way he was going there. He wasn't going there. I mean, and I'm like, well, you're probably right that he should, but um, I wasn't thinking about that at all. And now it seems, well, I don't know what they'll do. I, is there is there something they should do that can save him? Um, the the, the season. I mean, I mean again, the team, the season, the roster. Save, yeah, I know what you're saying. And save him is such a is such a weird term because again, like. Yeah, they're they're looking at a, a pretty sizable gap right now, and and their points percentage is under 500, and you know it's but it's like the end of December, and and I you know so you got two two ideas here. One is that maybe they can turn this thing around when they're a little bit healthier, and if they get some semblance of decent goaltending for a couple of weeks, um, or two, you you just kind of like wait this thing out and reevaluate in the summer. And and I think of the two choices, like the idea that you're going to try to push your chips in and try to you know, sal- quote-unquote salvage a season where you're under 500 at the turn of the, of, of the calendar year, I mean, probably isn't the smartest idea. The smartest idea would be kind of reevaluate everything in the summer, which I know is kind of getting, getting to be monotonous as, as it seems like that's what they do every season. But, I mean, there's no – I don't think there's any fix, any cure-all here. And then, you know, when we get to the summer, then the real conversations have to start happening about the GM, about the coach, about the direction of the team. I mean, 
no, I, I we did a coach's hot seat recently, and I talked to some people around the Sabers that were like, no, Don Granado's fine. I mean, like, there's no, there's not going to be any change in season um, because he's well liked, and also because the team doesn't want to pay two coaches. Uh, but when you get to the summer and you start thinking about, okay, well, this is the guy who, you know, sold a, his his gig and sold his expertise on being a great teacher, and the the fundamentals are there in some cases, in some cases not. But do they need somebody who's going to try to take the talent on this roster and elevate it into something better than what it is? I mean, those are the kinds of conversations that are going to be had if this this season continues the way it's going. Okay, before you go, Greg, uh, the story of the year in the league. What what jump what comes to Vancouver? Like what comes to mind? What's the best story in the NHL this year? Well, if you're talking about this season, um, I I would probably say uh, not only it's a couple of things. It's, it's one the the, the the Rangers have been incredible, okay. um, and I think better than anyone expected them to be under Peter Laviolette. I think the uh, Vancouver's resurgence is obviously. Uh, a huge story too, like you said, and, and that's a matter of their core being healthy at the same time and, and clicking at the same time. And you'd have to say that that uh, Rick Tockett is probably the favorite for Coach of the Year. Um, and then probably the other thing is is Connor Bedard, like meeting and in some cases surpassing expectations for Chicago. I think you know we all assumed that as long as this kid didn't screw up, that he was probably going to be Rookie of the Year. And now he's you know creating highlights on a nightly basis and, and doing things that really have him position to be the next megastar in this league but if you're talking about the calendar year 2023 as i think about that as i do a bunch of year interview stuff mm-hmm. uh it's definitely boston like setting all those regular season records and then losing in seven games in the first round of the playoffs and then basically watching their roster implode with bergeron and Krejci retiring and then lo and behold they're still at the top of the division so it's been <laughs> the, the, the boston ruins roller coaster is probably the story the hockey story of 2023 on the ice um, and uh, and it was uh, it's certainly been a roller coaster for them. Greg, love talking to you. Thanks for all the time you give us. Happy New Year. Yep. Anytime. Happy New Year, everybody. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, at Wyshynski on Twitter. Well, I mean, the Sabres have regressed in important ways. I mean, 10% is 10%. Whatever, you know, metric he's using for that, I feel like it's over. I don't know. I can only be probably right. I certainly... Would, it would be incredible to be wrong here. What a turnaround. I don't know why it has to wait until the summer to fix, as if it's broken, you know, but just change coaches. I don't know why that has to wait. How, how expensive is it? I mean, I've got other teams all the time in hockey, but this year too, Barubi won a coach or a cup for the Blues as their coach, and he's disposable. What what makes the Sabres so different? I just I, I appreciate how change and just always sort of starting over is um, a sign of an inferior franchise. It's what you want, you hope to be able to avoid. But man, like a, a lot of in that conversation, we're thinking about next year already, and the idea that the Sabres might just sit there and wait for that. It's just going to mean another, probably another second half where the fans are indifferent and the building's empty, and it's just like they're almost sort of a non-event. I mean, it's it's got to get better quick. Like, you know, already. it's. I think it's too late. 803-0550 for your calls on them, on Bills, Pats, Dolphins, Ravens, everything going around with the playoff picture. Uh, one possibility, I've talked about this a lot this week, but if the Bills don't 
get to Miami at Kansas City in the wild card round. I mean, what a way to start the playoffs if that's what happens. I think you'd have to feel pretty good about it. It's not we're not there yet, but um what the Chiefs are able to do from here is such a huge thing to watch because it's just been so different. They've struggled so badly. Anyway, there's always a lot to talk about with different potential matchups and everything else with the playoff picture. Excited to do it and we'll do more of it after sports. Again, 803-0550 if you want to call me. Bulldog is off. This is Mike Shope on WGR. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.